Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to welcome you to the program and we are inviting you to stay with us for this hour because we have prepared uh, again a very interesting, wonderful study for today. And we are going to talk about uh, worshipping the Creator. It's very important to know who to worship. Because there are many things these days to worship. We may not know, but we are worshiping a lot of things. But today we are going to focus on the Bible, to see what the Bible says in regard of worship. I'd like you to consider uh, to be part of this program, to come along with us. Maybe send us a text message or uh, a comment, a thought you may have in regard to the subject. And I'm going to give you the number uh, right now from the beginning where you can send us a text message. It's 04-888-808-31. Make sure that you have this number uh, safe because we are going to come with an offer today also. A free gift for you. But I'd like to say hello to our panel and welcome them to the program today. It's good to have you with us uh, Len. Hello, listeners. We're glad you've joined us today. And also, it's good to have Jerry joining us. Pleasure to be here, Nick. Hi, Lydia. It's good to have you with us, too. Yeah, praise the Lord. I'm very glad to be here today to study God's Word. Brenton, it's good to have you part of this, too. Thank you, Nick, for inviting us on. And I think it's going to be a very interesting subject we're going to share today. And Ken... It's good to have you with us, too. In particular, Ken, thank you for um, preparing this uh, Bible study. You are going to facilitate the discussion today, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's always a privilege to be here as we work our way through God's Word. As uh, we already mentioned, a couple of us here, it's very uh, important Bible study today to realize, to know, to be sure who to worship And um, would you be able to take us through, Ken, please? Certainly, Nick. Well, listeners, our study today deals with worshipping the Creator, our God. For some, it may seem an odd thing to do, worship God. However, as we look around this world, we see many people worshipping all sorts of things, from money to objects to other people like movie stars. Many people are addicted to many of these things, and others like drugs and alcohol. But do these things bring us true happiness, or are they only temporal? After all, movie stars get old too and lose their appeal. Money? Well, there's only so much you can buy with it. Objects like cars and boats, sports equipment and houses have a lifespan also, as we do. We often hear of people that that were waiting till they got older to go on a great holiday only to find they were not able, due to the sickness or some other health-related problem. Would it not make more sense to worship the God who made you, who loves you, and wants to share his kingdom with you and bless you every day? Now, we as humans like praise, do we not? We'd like someone to tell us we have done a good job. Our mums and dads praising us for our results from school or team members praising us for our performance on the sports field. But before we could go in today, I'm going to ask Jerry, would you mind opening in prayer? Yes, certainly, Ken. Our gracious and kind Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we thank you that we can spend this hour together with our listeners and uh, and study your word together as it focuses on worship. Now, Lord, we it would be good if we could set some time apart every day, even if it's just 10 minutes, to, to focus on your goodness, your kindness, and your love for the human family. That we are surrounded by so many distractions and uh, and sadly, many days go past where we hardly have a thought for you. And yet we are called to worship you because you deserve worship. You are the creator, the great creator of all things. And um, and we just pray that as we spend this time together, that we will understand the why of worship and the who of worship. So we just praise you now and invite your presence and that you would bless the listeners. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jerry. After his ascension to heaven, in Acts 1, verse 9, Jesus visited the last of the living apostles, John, on the island of Patmos, where he had been exiled to by the Roman emperor to Lisbon. Leecher, would you lead off on this? Yes, Ken. I would like to go a little bit in a history, very short. So Apostle John was the last living apostle of that time, and um, he was exiled on the small uh, rocky island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea in Greece by the Roman Emperor Dominician because of his strong faith and witness and testimony of Jesus. This happened in the year 95 AD. Uh, this island of Patmos was a very isolated place, residing as a prison for condemned criminals to death who worked in a mine. So John at that stage was about 90 years of age uh, when he received this vision from God uh, about uh, this book of Revelation, which was signified by Jesus through the vision. Over there in that rocky Patmos Island, there is a cave where it, it is believed John stayed most of the time. It's a deep cave, about 6.6 meters deep and uh, about 5.5 meters wide. And in the cave, up above, there is a crack, a three-way crack that lets a ray of light coming in through which is believed John received the light of vision and uh, heard the voice of God speaking to him. On a wall on that cave, there is a mark of a cross, and at the entrance there is an inscription, Fear God and give him glory. He was exiled over there, being condemned for life. He was actually condemned before to death, being thrown uh, in a container of uh, boiled oil, but God spared him, and uh, the Romans considered him a miracle, and uh, because uh, they were uh, very superstitious uh, in regard to him, they exiled him there. So John, being separated from the support of his family, uh, friends uh, and the Christian community, he was not left alone uh, in the tribulation and trouble that he faced as a follower of Jesus. But his ministry was not over. His witness was not complete yet. So an angelic 
visitor of dazzling brightness visited John on that lonely island and brought him a message directly from the throne of God. This message uh, from Jesus was an echo down the corridors of time through the centuries. It was a message of hope for every generation, but especially a message to prepare God's lost people for the coming of Jesus. It is a serious message of warning as well as an end-time message of encouragement as we get ready to face the trials of the final days or any trials that we might be facing right now in our lives. Thank you, Leitcha. Now, this account is recorded in Revelation 14, verse 7 onwards. But there are a number of important things mentioned here that we need to look at. Then, what are these? Okay, well, I would like to link verse 6 with verse 7, and I'm going to read them. Verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now, just to clarify a couple of things to start with, um, I think the angel is symbolic, but the message is not. So these three messages in Revelation 14 are messages that need to go out to the whole world, Christian and non-Christian, before the return of Jesus. And in that uh, verse 7, it says, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So there are two very important things there, to fear God and worship him. Now, my question is, what has that to do with the eternal gospel? Most people know about the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming, died for our sins, rose again, that we might have eternal life. Well, I think there's a very important link and that link is if you don't understand that God is our creator, it's very hard to understand the whole issue of redemption. In other words, of being saved. In such, in the world that we live in, of course, many people, as Ken said in his introduction, there are people worshipping all sorts of stuff. But there's a call to worship God. So here are the important things in that in those texts. It's a loud voice. In other words, it's a major proclamation that needs to go to the world. Uh, secondly, it's to fear God, to honour God, to obey God, to acknowledge God, and then to give glory to him. In other words, to acknowledge him as our benefactor, the one who loves us. And then it's talking about the judgment. The time has come. We are in a time of God's judgment right now. The big issue 
in our times has been mentioned a couple of times by various ones. The big issue in the book of Revelation is worship. We were created as worshipping beings. Every one of us worships something or someone. True worship, the worship of the Creator, enables us to discover life's true purpose. It gives us a reason for living. It gives us not only something to die for, but something to live for. And if need be, to endure tribulations and trials. And as the final crises arrive, we will better understand that we must go through many difficulties to enter the kingdom of God, mainly because there will be a lot of opposition to those who choose to worship the true God. So there are some very, very important issues facing the people of our time that are raised here in these two verses of Revelation 14. As Len was mentioning that these uh, messages, three angel messages, are so important for these days. And he said something uh, that uh, the messages are real, are true. The angels may be symbolic. I just want to uh, say something there and not to disagree with Len, but to emphasize on the fact that, uh, as we know, an angel means like a messenger. Now, my dear friend, you and I may be that angel who delivered this message to the world, and we're inviting you to be part of this. That's what we are doing this um, broadcasting, to let everyone know about the great Wonderful good news of the Bible, in particular of this book, Revelation. And Len also mentioned that there is um, a desire to worship for us all, but we want to also be sure that we are worshiping who deserves our worship. I know in the, um, in this world, in this universe, I should say, God is the creator. But the enemy of God, Satan, he also claims the right to be worshipped because he said that we as humans, we gave allegiance to him. Now we need to choose who to worship. We have this wonderful book, which we would like to give it to you uh, today, my dear friend. And it's called The Great Controversy Countdown. It's a study guide and you'll really enjoy it. Please send us a text message with the code SA. B1. The phone number is 04-888-80831. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14 and verse 7, it ends with a clear call to worship God. But why is this important? And is there a special day that God has set aside for us to worship? Benton, would you take us through this one? Yes, Ken, there is a special day. And that day is the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, we have the fourth commandment. What we have discussed so far on air is the latter part of Revelation 14 and verse 7, which says to worship him who made heaven 
heaven and the sea and the springs of water. Now, that quote is a direct quote from the fourth commandment. Now, what's interesting about all of this is that the Sabbath was given at Eden. It was given at the end of the creation week before there were any Jews and before there were any other nations on earth. It was given to Adam and Eve. And that's um, a very important aspect because many Christians today don't believe in six literal days of creation. I could spend the next half hour discussing that, but I just want to share a couple of things with you that perhaps are helpful. If God did not create the earth in six days, the Sabbath has no meaning whatsoever uh, because they are vast indeterminate periods of time. And because each day, according to Scripture, is a literal day, the seventh day, the day that we worship God as the creator on, is also a literal day. Now, it's pretty important because if you stop and think about it, uh, Ken, if you believe that uh, in theistic evolution or you believe in evolution outright and you claim to be a Christian, you have some major problems. And the major problems center around the fact that the plan of salvation actually means very, very little to you because we are continually evolving and getting better and better and better, allegedly. Um, when you look at the miracles of Christ, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons, he gave sight to the blind, uh, walking to the lame. Now, if you believe in a, a process of gradual evolution, how was God able to do all these things? He was able to do all these things because back in the, the start, he spoke and it was done and he commanded and it stood fast. What Revelation 14, 7, the second part is telling us, Ken, is to come back to the worship of God as the creator. He created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day. And that's the basis upon which we are to worship him. Now, right at the end of time in Revelation 13, the preceding chapter, you find a group of people worshiping the beast and his image. So there is only going to be two groups of people. We will explore this more in a future study. But basically, at the end of time, you have those who worship God as the creator based on a literal six-day week, based on the fact that God can speak into existence something out of nothing, or those who worship the beast, whatever that uh, eventually comes out to be. So you have a very clear choice. What the angel is doing here is calling us back to the worship of God as the creator. And I believe those who worship God as the creator will one day see him because they recognize that he created them as well as redeemed them. Thank you, Trenton. This is such an important point. However, so many Christians worship on Sunday these days. Harry, why is this? Well, the short answer is they don't know any better. And, and the rationale for that is that um, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Uh, and therefore the church teaches that this is now the new day that we uh, should worship, the new commandment, uh, that they call the Lord's Day. But really that's a, a flawed argument. I mean, first of all, Jesus never never gave a hint of changing the, uh, the commandment. And also you could say, well, Jesus died on Friday, the day before the Sabbath. Is that a reason to therefore 
uh, changed the, the law that God gave himself? Do we therefore have Friday as our new day of worship? We don't. In other words, we have to ask ourselves, is this in harmony with what the Bible teaches? Yeah, and if you look into it, into the history of the Christian church, it soon became it becomes clear how we went from the biblical day of rest, called the Sabbath, to the Sunday, a day that um, that was never authorized, if you like, in, in the Bible. And in fact, if you look at the early disciples, they never endorsed Sunday as the new day of worship. And it's interesting to note also that the Sabbath of the fourth commandment starts with the word remember. Isn't it interesting how the one commandment that starts with the word remember is the commandment that the whole world seems to have forgotten? I find that really interesting. But you, if you look again into the history and what's what caused it to be changed, essentially what it comes down to is that the Roman Catholic Church changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. The Sunday law was officially confirmed by the Roman papacy in the Council of Laodicea in AD 364, where it says, The Christians shall not Judaize or be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. And again, the Catholic Church, by virtue of her divine mission, changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. And this is from the Catholic Mirror, published quite a while ago now, but still uh, this was the official publication of James Cardinal Gibbons. And Cardinal Gibbons, in Faith of Our Fathers, freely admits, and I quote, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday, a day which we, that is the Catholic Church, never sanctify. Well, that really is truly amazing. I think it's something we should really think about. As we look around us today, we see more and more people, businesses and governments, get rid of God in their lives and from schools teaching evolution. In fact, when in fact, none of it has been proven. God too is withdrawing his protection from this world and Satan is increasing his control over the world and its leaders. We see more and more destruction on this earth than ever before, and people out of control having no love for their fellow man. So why should we worship God then? Okay, well, one of the reasons is given in Revelation 14, verse 7, which says the hour of his judgment has is come. However, there's another reason, and that is because of the goodness of God. Now, if anybody was to ask me, what does God think of human beings? Well, he'd probably say that he's disappointed in them, but he wants to give us only good things. I want to read from Jeremiah 29, 11. And here's God saying, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that ties in very nicely with John chapter 3, verse 16, the best-known, best-loved verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, what's God's desire for all of us? He desires that we be holy. He desires that we be happy. And he desires that we be healthy. So one of the reasons to worship God is because of God's good intentions and his goodness toward human beings. The other one about judgment is perhaps a negative reason for us to worship him, but there are many, many positive regions. God wants us to be holy, healthy, and happy. Just a quick one to what uh, Len has said. He touched on the issue of judgment and the fact that judgment for many people is negative, but here's something to think about. If God created us in his image, and we believe he did, therefore he gave man the power of choice. Now, you do not have judgment if you don't have the power of choice. You were simply a robot doing what God has pre-programmed you to do. The fact that we have the power of choice means that there is a judgment because that judgment weighs up our decision-making processes. It weighs up whether we have chosen to follow Jesus or chosen not to. I think that's pretty important in the whole context of talking about creation, about whether man was created in God's image and endowed with the power of choice. You might remember there was a guy called Joshua in the Old Testament who right at the end of his life said, in the presence of all the elders of Israel and the people, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We still have that power of choice today, and I believe our listeners can exercise that power of choice and choose to follow Jesus, and if they do, they have nothing to fear in the judgment. So important, Brenton. As men become smarter, they are sending more and more spacecraft into the heavens searching for their roots. But God has told us they will never get too far. As the heavens are endless and there is no other planet like Earth, it is special, made by Jesus along with everything on it. When you see the picture from space, do you not marvel at how amazing big space is? And we only see a fraction of it. God made all this and placed all the planets where they are and set others in orbits. This is not a God who should be praised and honoured. Just look at your body. It is amazing how it all works. There is nothing like it anywhere. Even the angels in heaven are different. Terry, you have a comment. Yes, Ken. Uh, you just mentioned the, the vastness of the universe and then the, the wonder of the human body. I'd just like to bring out something that I found really interesting that, uh, that has to do with our study today, and that's uh, talking about the sun. And it says um, that the sun has a diameter of approximately 865,000 miles and could hold one million planets the size of Earth. But the sun is just one of at least a, a billion, that's with a B, stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. So one star called the Pistol Star gives off as much as 10 million times the power generated by our sun. One million stars the size of our sun can easily fit within the sphere of the pistol star. So 
how do we begin to wrap our minds around the creation? And you know, there is an estimated 200 billion, again with a B, galaxies that are known. 200 billion. So, you know, that is just mind-boggling. But then if you go to the human body, so we, we could say we, we go from the macro to the micro. What are we? What is man? The Bible says that thou art mindful of him. We're like a, we're like a, our, our planet Earth is like a little speck of dust compared to the vastness of the whole creation of the whole universe. But you look at the human body and what do we see? We have 12 body systems. I'll just go through them quickly. We have the integumentary, that is the skin, integumentary system. That's the biggest organ of the, uh, all of them actually. Then we go to the skeletal system, the muscular system, the nervous system, the circulatory system, the respiratory system, the digestive system, the excretory system, urinary system, reproductive system, endocrine system, that's to do with hormones, and the immune system. Now, the astonishing thing is that all of these have to work together in perfect harmony for human life to exist. And they all have to be there from the very beginning. It's not as though somewhere along the line another system is added for it to work. Isn't, isn't that just isn't that completely astonishing? I, I find that absolutely mind-boggling. And perhaps if I could just, uh, one, one final quick comment. The God of uh, all creation, the one who spoke the sun and the moon and the stars into existence, whose awesome power created this planet and filled it with living things, also is a God who is interested in each one of us, every single one of us individually. He's the God who delivered his people from Egyptian bondage. He guided them in the wilderness for 40 years. He gave them manna from heaven for 40 years. He caused the walls of Jericho to pull down, collapse. He defended Israel in all their battles. And the same God who unleashed his infinite power to create the universe, he uses that same infinite power to defeat the forces of evil that wage the battles for our souls. I have quite a strong interest in the creation-evolution debate, as I've mentioned on previous programs. And I'm very happy to report that there are many scientists, many top scientists in the world, who are finding the idea of evolution implausible. And many of these now attribute creation to a higher power sometimes they don't recognize the god of creation they just say it's uh, uh, intelligent design but they recognize that there had to be some powerful being an intelligent being to design all these wonderful systems and other things that life is made of and so it's nice to hear that there are reputable scientists who are breaking away from the theory of evolution and turning toward God. Of course, there are heaps who haven't done that, but it's just nice to hear that some people have recognized the implausibility of the evolution theory and they're turning the other way. And many of them 
uh, worship, finding God and worshiping God in that. Nietzsche, you have a comment? So we are discussing today about worship. It's a very vast subject. Uh, it's a lot to comment about it, but I'm thinking about what is worship. So it's a level of connection, uh, a connection between me and something. So first of all, you have to understand that subject, to admire that subject, and this admiration grows and grows until it becomes an adoration. So, for example, I'm looking at a piece of art. If I'm connected with that piece of art, I start to understand it. And the more I look into it, the more deeply I understand what the painter places over there. If I don't connect with that piece of art, there's nothing there. There's no admiration. It doesn't end into adoration. Exactly happened between a creature and God. So if I'm worshiping God, my creator, there is a relation between me and God. It's exactly the way I relate to God. So many people are worshiping different things. As Ken, uh, you said uh, at the beginning, many people are worshiping themselves, being preoccupied all the time with themselves. They are narcissistic people. They worship stars and some people are worshiping the food. So becoming a gluttonist and uh, gadgets and entertainment and hobbies and so on. So there are many forms of worship. So many people are going just in a church. They make a sign of a cross. They light a candle. They kissing an icon, bow down or, you know, or bring a gift. So many people start to worship something, and in other countries, people are worship false gods. Many people are spending lots of money bringing gifts to that stone of an idol, thinking that there is their god. So there is ways of worship. It's true worship and false worship. We observe here the example of Cain and Abel. One brought a true worship, and the other one brought a false worship. So I'm thinking about me, if I'm worshiping the Lord, in which way I worship the Lord? How do I relate with God? Because I have to worship God in the way that my worship to be pleased to Him. Otherwise, my worship is not received. So we have a few verses here uh, in Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 20 and God says what do I care about the incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land your burnt offerings are not acceptable your sacrifices do not please me Isaiah 29 verse 11 it says these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. So if I'm going to uh, Ezekiel 33, verse 31, it says, My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. So if I come to God in worship and my thoughts are not clean, 
and I hold resentment or anger or malice or many other things. My worship is not received. Also, I would like to read Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice and encourage the oppressed. So if I'm coming to God, worshiping him, my thoughts, my heart, my mind has to be in a good relationship with those around me and with God. Why, this God who lives in the heavens is also with his people. In fact, God loves nothing more than to commune with his followers as often as possible. As he tells us in Isaiah 57, verse 15, For this is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of contrite ones. Jerry, what does this mean for us? Ken, I'd like to quote something that Pastor Mark Finley uh, wrote down, which I thought was really appropriate uh, in response to your, your question. He says, and I quote, The great news about our God is that his greatness and power are so vast that it reaches across the cosmos and into each of our lives. He promises us, where well, he promises to remake us, mold us, and transform us into the likeness of his image. Think about what that means. The God who created and who sustains billions of galaxies is the same God, not only in whom we live and move and have our being, but also who works in us to give us new hearts, to purge us of sin and make us into new creatures in Christ. What a powerfully comforting thought to realize our God, a God of such power, loves and cares for us. Well, Jerry, that really is great news for everyone who accepts Jesus as their saviour and molds their lives around his teachings, especially the Ten Commandments, as it tells us in Revelation 14 and verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We have looked at the everlasting gospel, art of judgment, and worship the Creator. Brenton, how are these messages related? Well, they're related. Um, it goes right back to Ken, when sin first entered the world. When sin entered the world, we go back to Genesis 3.15, where God said to Adam and Eve, after they had been discovered and their sin had been revealed, that he would put enmity between them and the woman, between her seed and their seed, and that someone would come and crush the serpent's head, the serpent uh, being symbolized by Satan. Now, when Christ died on the cross, he uttered a, a saying that we all know well, it is finished. Do you realize that three times in scripture the word it is finished is used? It's used in Genesis 2 verse 1, where God has finished his creation, and Moses records that, um, and thus the heavens and the earth and the sea were all finished. 
It was muttered on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. And it's also mentioned in Revelation 16, verse 17, right at the close of when the seven last plagues are about to take place. So how are these linked? Uh, because of Christ's death on Calvary, salvation is available to everyone. However, if we were, um, shall we say, robots, we would all accept it. Basically, because we're not robots, because we have been given the power of choice, what the judgment determines is those who have accepted Christ, those who have accepted his sacrifice, and those who have chosen not to. It also reveals those who have remained in that relationship. They may have started out well, but didn't end well. So the judgment is um, for that particular purpose. So all of these things are tied together. As I said earlier on, you can't have a judgment unless you've got free will. And if you weren't created by God, therefore there is no responsibility. There is no accountability. So because God has created us and redeemed us, I guess there's a double accountability, an accountability for looking after the body he's given us and also an accountability for what have we done with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So in that sense, I see all these three things as being linked. Thank you, Brenton. From the beginning of time, God has always had a people, a remnant who would not only keep the commandments, but the testimony of Jesus, who would proclaim the Bible truths and proclaim its prophecy right up to the return of Jesus, who would accept the lies of the evolution that is taught throughout the whole world today. Even the Pope accepts it. But the Bible tells us all things before they happen. Anyone seriously looking for the truth, if they search out the Bible, will find a people different from others, who keeps the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. Nick, what damage has the spread of evolution done to this world? Again, that's a very uh, big question, actually. And um, Elaine mentioned a few times and others on the panel that uh, through this uh, concept of evolution, it's so much damage done not only to God, but to us all as uh, humanity. Because we function in a different way. We have different uh, uh, interests, if you like, or different views instead of following God, the one who create all things. Of course, that uh, had a, a huge impact and uh, it, it really took away, you know, uh, uh, the real thing from God, the creator who deserves worship and all these things which we already mentioned. But it's not only the uh, evolutionist uh, uh, approach that damage uh, the image of God. There are many other ideologies which affect this. And uh, I must say that we, even as Christians sometimes, I heard this in the Christendom, uh, this sort of uh, approach, because we don't know everything, and that's okay, that's okay. But people will say, ah, because we don't know everything, who knows how things happen? Instead of taking the word of God as God is presenting to us, we are going a step further to interpret things under our own understanding. And you know that these days it's a very popular in Christendom, the theistic evolution approach. 
Now that could do more damage to uh, the image of God than the whole theory of uh, evolution. What I would like to say here, maybe just to assure each one of us again, is that as the Bible puts it, sin come into the world. And interesting how the Bible puts it. If I think of Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 12, actually, uh, let me just read that uh, verse, if I could, uh, Ken and panel. It says here, I'm reading from New Living Translation. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. Is that not interesting that the Bible says, talks about Adam, not about Eve here? It's a very interesting thing. But you know, because Adam represented humanity. But the Bible continues to say, but as sin entered in this world through one man, sin has been dealt with by one man, and that's Jesus Christ. You may heard that, that my dear friend listening today, that Jesus is considered the second Adam. Why? Because through Jesus, we are restored. To Jesus, we are made right with God. And I think that's all what counts for uh, for us, uh, Ken. I'd like to take this moment here, Ken, just to remind our listener again that they can have a book in their hands to study further these aspects. And we have a great offer today called The Great Controversy Countdown. It's a study guide. And my dear friend listening today, you just need to send us a text message with the code SAB1. The number is 04-888-80831. The more we read the Bible, the more we see God as a loving and caring being who has held nothing back from mankind when he made this earth. Is it any wonder he asks us to worship him, not by making statues of him and bowing down to them, rather he asks us to keep his laws that will keep us happy and safe, and to keep his special Sabbath day, Saturday, which is started in the Garden of Eden, and not when the Jews came along, as some think. God is not looking for us to build great buildings for him, to hold parties for him. He just wants us to honour and remember him as we go about our lives. If you were sick and needed an organ to stay alive and you received one from a stranger, would you not be grateful? Should we not be more grateful to God who has given us his life for us so we can be with him in paradise? When it comes to spiritual matters, there's only one place to go, and that is the Bible, not man. Jerry, why is this? Look, the Bible gives us uh, multiple sources of evidence to uh, confirm its uh, veracity and uh, and truthfulness. And Look, you have, uh, for example archaeological discoveries that verify the names of kings and battles and events that are mentioned in the Bible. It also gives us the exact dates uh, of significant events. For me, that's that's a very strong argument in favour of the uh, truthfulness of the Bible. Then we have the historical record. And in fact, from non-biblical or, uh, people such as um, Roman Romans, like uh, one particular one is uh, Tacitus, 
uh, and then you have the uh, Jewish historian Josephus. They write quite quite a lot about this Christ figure and um, what happened at that time. But for me, the most compelling evidence that the Bible is true and trustworthy is what the Bible calls the, the more sure word of prophecy or a confirmed word of prophecy. And I remember when I was first introduced to the gospel, I, I mean, I, I came as a 27-year-old as an agnostic and I started researching and the prophecies of Daniel chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8 and chapter 9 were explained to me. And it just took my breath away. I, I, I found it so compelling that uh, there is a God in heaven who knows the end from the beginning. And I'd just like to finish perhaps with a quote from uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. And it says there, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God knows the end from the beginning. And, um, you know, when you see, even in our time, if you study the uh, book of Revelation and especially the chapters 12 and 13, we are living in a time of unfolding prophecy. We see the the truthfulness of God's word unfolding before our very eyes. We are in it. And for me, that was the most compelling argument in favor of the gospel. I've recently met a couple of people who, although they were a little bit confused about which church to go to, read their Bible. And you know what really amazed me is that both of these people have basically come to the same truth which I have known for a long, long time because they are seeking to know what truth is. And by reading the Bible, they come to that conclusion. I refer to Doug Batchelor, who was stuck in a cave in California there somewhere or another as a hippie, found a Bible, read it, and he discovered the truth for himself. So the key to understanding the truth is simply to read your Bible. And that's, that's what, um, what it is, uh, Len and my dear friend listening today. Uh, even though we may have sometime questions in regard to, um, those people presenting the word of God or sharing, you know, we need to check that out with the Bible. Bible is the benchmark. And if we say anything out of the Bible, don't take anything. But uh, uh, by God's grace, we pray to God and we hope that we wouldn't say anything which is out of the Bible. Because that's our um, desire to share the word of God. And if you hear something which is unfamiliar to you, please check that with the Bible. May God help you on that. Listeners, there's a relevant passage found in Matthew 7, in verses 7 to 8. And it goes like this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one to whom knocks, the door will be open. God has not only given us the opportunity to have a relationship with 
but to spend eternity with him in paradise. He has given us his word in the Bible that can be proved over and over again. If you will seek it out, the Lord God Jehovah is truly worthy of our praise. I want to quickly finish today with a little story. It's about how tree monkeys are caught around Asia and Africa. Hunters go around the jungles and they're looking for these little monkeys up in the trees. And what they do, they bring a heavy bottle and they put it at the bottom of the tree. And it's like a large wine bottle. It's, it's got a narrow neck and they put a few nuts inside this bottle and they leave it at the base of the trees and then they retire somewhere to watch what happens. Well, it's not very long before the monkeys climb down the tree. They either smell the nuts to see them and they think, oh, I don't know what this is. And they put their hand in the bottle and they grab this food and then they go to move their, their hand out again or arm and they can't take it out because they've got their fists closed. And they won't let go of this food and they, they can't go anywhere. Well, a short while later, the hunter returns. The monkey sees him, but he won't let go of the food and so is captured for life and his freedom has lost forever. All he had to do was let go, open his hand, and he would be free, but he's lost forever. A bit like many people in the world today, chasing riches and fame, but missing out on eternal life. We're grasping something that only lasts for a moment, where if we let go of our earthly things and sought God, we have eternity and a wonderful life ahead of us, which is coming soon. Don't become one of them. Seek God while he may be found. Leecher, would you close in prayer? Holy Father, thank you so much for being our Father, the creator of everything, the entire unseen vast universe. Thank you that even being the King of kings and Lord of lords, you still love us, your beings, and want to spend time with us, and you want to have a family with us. Thank you so much for being so close and interested in each one of us personally. Thank you so much that you are so grateful to us. Thank you, Father, that we have you as a perfect mentor, holy, pure, wise, loving, merciful, righteous, and faithful, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive our glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Please, Father, receive our humble appreciation that we bring to you now. Please help us not to take everything we receive from your gracious hand as granted. You are indescribable in human words. We love you, Father and worship you with everything we have the best. We bow down to you and acknowledge you as our Father, the Lord of the Lords and King of Kings. We surrender our lives to you in true worship, in spirit and in truth, to be used for the benefit of others, for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And thank you, Lija, for the prayer. And thank you, everyone, for uh, your participation, your input today. Very uh, powerful uh, study, interesting, you know, for us all to understand 
what that means to worship the Creator. My dear friend, we are inviting you to be part of the next Bible study, which is entitled The Sabbath and the End. I believe that will be an amazing uh, opportunity to learn more and to know what's God's plan with us all humanity here on this earth. Don't miss that program. But also you have um, opportunity today to claim our offer, which uh, we have for today. It's a book called The Great Controversy Countdown. And you can send us a text message with the code SAB1. The number is 04888-80831. Don't hesitate to claim this offer which we have prepared for you. Until then, may God richly bless you. Have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus.